What makes life good? Science and your life experience remind you that the greatest happiness this world has to offer comes from loving relationships. Welcome to the Help for Loving Relationships podcast. Here we focus on strengthening our marriages and our families, as well as your connection to friends and community. Our host, Shane Adamson, is a therapist who has had a front row seat to what builds loving relationships, as well as what hurts relationships. Please welcome your host, Shane Adamson. Welcome to the Help for Loving Relationships show. It's really nice to be back, and I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for being patient with me. There were some significant family events which required my full attention and presence. I had my daughter, May, who just graduated high school. Uh, That was in the beginning of the summer. Then a second daughter, Noelle, uh, graduated college, and then... um, goodness, in August, we had a wedding. So that same daughter, Noelle, got married to Gary Ferguson. And I like to say I didn't lose a daughter, but I gained a son. And Gary's just an amazing young man, and they have an amazing love story. So I'm really happy that I got to be part of their wedding. And uh, this upcoming three months, there's going to be three uh, podcast episodes on a mini-series of how spirituality and world religion or faith practices can influence our loving relationships. And many in the audience know that I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and a former bishop, which is equivalent of the lead pastor, uh, Aaron Bajnowski, and his wife, Julie, uh, came out with a book called My Temple Insights. And so uh, a temple is a place where um, people in my faith, it's considered a pinnacle experience. We make uh, covenants there to follow Christ. And so it becomes a more covenant relationship to make Christ the center of your life. And there's some service opportunities that we do, which you'll you'll learn more as you tune into that episode. I just got word from Almas last week, who is a part of the Islam faith. She's a Muslim woman, and she's active in her faith community, and she's going to be talking about um, Islam, and there's many different branches, but she'll be um, giving the basics of how her faith influences her, and I'm looking for a speaker for the Jewish religion, which I believe would be considered Judaism, so To me, it doesn't matter if that's an orthodox or a liberal. It's really just focusing on the basics of the faith and how that would influence uh, loving relationships, whether that be a marriage, parent-child, relationship with friends. So uh, today's episode, uh, I'm going to do three solo episodes that will go alongside of the spirituality-focused episodes And this particular episode is on five, no, actually I've increased it to six things, not just five things, that a betrayer can do to improve healing. So I'm using a broad term, the betrayer, to represent the person in a marriage who strays. This could be virtual infidelity, where someone chronically uh, views porn in secret and their couple relationship has an agreement that that's not something that this 
particular couple wants in their marriage. It's considered virtual infidelity, virtual infidelity to the the one spouse who chooses not to view porn. And so that's one level. I also counsel like half of the couples I'm seeing right now, there was a, an actual infidelity where an affair or an encounter uh, with a woman. And right now in my practice, it's uh, primarily the men who stray and betray. But I know that this is not exclusively a man problem or a husband problem because over my counseling practice of 28 years, I've had a, a good number of women who have cheated or strayed or was the one who betrayed. But for t- for this episode, I'm going to be speaking to primarily the men and what they can do to uh, rebuild trust and start improving the healing process for themselves and for their marriage or couple relationship. So I just presented this to nine couples that are doing an intensive with myself and Janice Cottle in McKinney, Texas. And after I read the five, Janice said, Shane, I want to add one to your list. And she put at the top of my list, don't lie. And, you know, I will keep that at the top of my list just because um, I do think Many women have confided in me once they discover all of the acting out behavior and they've got all their answers to their questions that they felt they needed for their healing. They often tell me, you know, it's the deception and the lying that hurts just as much or in some cases even more than the actual behavior, the secret behavior. And I also just want to point out that Honesty can be such an important healing element that I'm going to share just two instances of men in recovery who were practicing rigorous honesty and integrity. And the first one um, had he he's kind of a part owner in a in a business, and one of his partners said, "Are you coming into work today?" His first thought was to lie and say, "My brother had a flat tire." And it's going to take, I don't know how long it's going to take, and so I'm not coming in. But the truth of the matter is it was 10.30 in the morning. He had already helped his brother, and the flat tire problem was resolved. And he said, this is my chance to be honest. So he said, you know, I helped my brother with a flat tire. I'm just not filling up for coming in today. I'm going to work from home. And it felt so good to just tell the truth. Another example of, these would be considered what maybe a white lie, but if you continue to do these, your relationship cannot fully heal because your partner will feel like you're hiding other things if you would lie about simple things. So this story is kind of of a client who, he was kind of a middle manager, let's just, I'm going to say Chili's to keep confidentiality, and he was supposed to meet with some other um, store managers, and the person, the district manager organizing it said, hey, um, why don't... um, we meet at this store at this time, but then like 10 minutes before the meeting, he calls in and says, hey, a family emergency's come up, the meeting's off, we'll all reschedule after I deal with this matter, the family matter. Well, three of these um, store managers were already there, so they decided to get appetizers, talk about their stores. And on the drive home from this meeting, his wife said, well, how did the district manager meeting go? And off the cuff, he said, oh, it went great. 
And then as he's driving, he's like, that's a lie. The, the actual meeting didn't happen. Why did I just so instinctively or reflexively lie? And so on his drive home, he thought that through and he felt the desire to clean that up immediately when he walked in the door and mentioned to his wife something to the effect of, hey, um, I just told a lie and this is what happened with the district manager and I felt something about guilt or you might I might you might be upset that I'm lingering longer and enjoying like appetizer and dessert when I should come home and be with the family and the wife in this case was very sensitive and supportive saying you work very hard I would not be upset at you for lingering long to you know visit with your colleagues your peers and enjoy some food and so he started to think that through more carefully like yeah, this is deeper um, problem that doesn't just involve hiding, you know, pornography or sexual acting out behavior. It's just a habit of saying what I feel my wife wants to hear. And so to the men out there, if you can practice rigorous honestly, honesty and not get caught in lies of any kind whatsoever, that will really improve the healing process and rebuild trust. Okay, the second thing, and I need to give credit because four of these six, uh, I I heard them on Jeff Stuber's podcast, which is Crisis to Connection, and uh, I'm a fan of his work. He's been on my show, and uh, so it, you could his episode is 20 minutes. You could tune in there, and I I share some of the ideas that he he. Uh, details and then I've expanded on them some. So the the second idea is patience. Uh, it seems really simple, but being patient is difficult. And when you think about addiction, people want gratification quickly. They don't want to wait for things. And so I do believe it's in the one of the character flaws of an addict to not wait for things. And so this may show up by having unrealistic expectations on the recovery process, thinking that their wife should be over it by a certain number of months, even though the research says that this is like a one to five year process and every individual is a little different how they respond to the healing and the recovery process. And also with yourself, sometimes if you have slips or relapses or you're just making mistakes with your habits and hangups, you can be a little harsh with yourself and having some self-compassion, just being realistic, being patient. For myself, my worst area is traffic and I really don't do well just sitting in traffic. So I'm trying to practice both patience and uh, I'm going to be bringing up another one called distress tolerance, <laughs> but I'm not. I'll, I'll I'll speak more to that when I get to it. But the the third one is seeking help. You know, uh, I do believe that secrecy is the lifeblood of addiction, and so whether it be an alcohol problem or any substance abuse problem or pornography, the the reason it gets bigger and more complex and the frequency of use increases because things are done in secret and so if you can do the opposite of that join a group or I, I challenge a lot of my guys to have a circle of three to five recovery buddies 
Now, when it comes to matters of sexual things, some people are judgmental and may not be safe to bring this up to, and you also don't want to involve family members where you're going to be around them around Thanksgiving or Christmas, and if they don't have good boundaries or kind of a base level of support and respect, um, that's something you should discuss with your spouse. Who would be safe? Who do we share? How much do we share? But I do believe at the very base minimum, involving a few people and not being a lone ranger in how you do recovery. I just have watched many men who do group therapy reach out to people, they seem to recover more quickly than the Lone Ranger who just schedules individual sessions with me, reads book, listens to podcasts. Their recovery goes longer because they're just not in a group. And so that's just feedback for folks that might have some anxiety about joining a group or reaching out to others to try to push past those fears and challenge yourself to be vulnerable and re- uh, seek help. I I mentioned this briefly. This is number four, improved distress tolerance. Uh, I want you to notice how you do when you're in a long line. If you pay attention to a long line at the grocery store, a majority of people are scrolling on their phone. And I myself have done this. There's things that I need to get done, and this is a perfect time. But while you're in recovery, I would like you to find some opportunities to just practice distress tolerance, like me in traffic. I'm trying to breathe in. I've tried to put on some like sounds of nature just to help me manage distress because addiction, uh, when I specialize primarily in sex addiction, it's little to do with sex and more about emotional management. And I would say that probably out of 10 guys, when we unpack a a recent relapse, probably seven out of the 10 times, it's anxiety or boredom or stress. Anxiety is at the top of the list often, and they don't have healthy coping for that emotion or stress. There's some other things like being alone could be a factor or maybe having a recent heavy, hard disagreement with your partner. And so all of these, again, create feelings and or situations that can be triggers. So try to um, increase your distress tolerance. I think one of the greatest challenges is when, when your partner is triggered. And when I, to detail a trigger, I'll just give a classic example. Let's say your phone vibrates in the middle of the night and you've had a history of either viewing porn or maybe even chatting with someone from the opposite sex, your wife's instant thought would be, who is that contacting my husband? And they can enter into a fear and worry cycle that could wake them in the middle of the night. You could be having a disagreement or it could happen in the morning. And your ability to sit in that distress and be humble, lean into her pain, try to reassure her and not get defensive or angry or frustrated, that that's distress tolerance at a high level. And usually it takes many months for guys to develop this skill set of leaning into their partner's pain. And there's books and podcasts and tools to increase empathy, but it, it is difficult. And I'm, I'm just honoring the difficulty, but the challenge is still there that improving distress tolerance is a skill for improving healing for the re- the recovery process. Uh, number five is taking full responsibility. 
uh, Jeff Stewart coined this term called avoid mutualizing. So it's pretty common for in marriage counseling, you'll hear the phrase, it takes two to tango, or a, a common phrase would be, hey, I wouldn't look at porn if we just had a strong and healthy sex life. But this is mutualizing the problem and not taking full responsibility. It will go much better and healing will happen when you say, it was wrong for me to lie and sneak. We had an agreement that I would stop looking at porn and I broke that agreement. And so statements of responsibility and not placing blame or turning the tables back on your partner in some way. And also, there is no expiration date to taking responsibility. The guys that I see do really well, even if it's one, two, or even three years down the road and the wife says, yeah, and you did this to me, instead of getting angry and defensive, like, how long are you going to bring this up? They just own it and say, yeah, that's part of my history. I'm glad that I've got found recovery and I'm in a different place. And they don't need to get angry or defensive. They just own that that is part of their life story and they'll keep owning it as long as it takes and there is no expiration. That's just a sign of maturity and a sign of like, hey, I'm going to own my life story and not run from it or hide from it. Um, and then this last part is probably just because I do so much couples work, I'll just share a few things that I feel are helpful for the couple relationship to heal. Um, being proactive about your recovery, and I'll give a couple examples. When your wife sees you reading a book or listening to a podcast or attending a group or individual counseling, you're, you're being proactive to try to understand why this came into your life and you see it as a serious problem because it harmed you and it harmed your, your marriage relationship and you're taking responsibility to clean it up. And uh, there's something called recovery check-ins and being proactive with that, meaning you're just telling your wife on a regular basis. Many couples will do it weekly, like I'm this many days sober. If you had any struggles in the past week, it may not be with porn or sex. It just might have been um, with work and being anxious about a project, but but openly share what's happening in your world. And you could also, there's some, some uh, outlines for a recovery check-in where you can add in something you're grateful for or something you appreciate about your spouse. Uh, in the scope of this particular podcast, I'm not going to do that, but you could um, reach out to me via email or something, and I can give a couple samples there. Um, but you initiating that as opposed to your partner saying, how are you doing in your recovery? You're being proactive in initiating honesty and transparency. Um, I've already addressed honesty, and, and uh, so transparency is just, like let's say you're going on a business trip. And this isn't a matter of control, it's a matter of respect, that you would say, hey, I want you to see my agenda, um, here's what I'll be doing, and here's the hotel, and here's where to reach me, and and I plan to do, I can probably check in with you this number of times over the four days, the best times will be around lunch or the evening, I'd be happy to FaceTime with you. And the, I think the toughest place where I could be challenged with my addiction would be the social hour. Some networking is really important. 
But I promise if any like woman were to make advances, this is how I would handle it. I would talk about my family and you. If it persisted, I would excuse myself from the social hour. So these are some ways of being transparent about a business trip to to increase safety and be transparent. And you can do that when if your wife was leaving and you were going to be home alone, what, how are you going to be transparent about how you'll manage, you know, being home alone for three to four days? So these are some examples of transparency. Transparency. Um, the most common wound that I hear women express, because uh, I have worked with a lot of women who suffer from betrayal trauma, is they often feel that they're not enough in some way. If their personality was more positive or brighter, or maybe, um, what what else? Um, that they were more sexual, or their body was a different shape or type. And this can be really difficult to heal from, especially when they look maybe at pornography and see this as Barbie doll girls who just never say no to sex and are always adventurous. And it's harmful um, to be compared in that way. And so I believe the way you can start the process of healing that would be fighting for your partner's heart and just letting her know she's your one and only and what you what you're attracted to in her and what you appreciate about her and just in big and small ways, let her know I choose you and I'm fighting for you. I don't want to lose you. And if you can do that, um, that will help your relationship to heal. So I'm just going to do a quick summary because we're coming up on just over 21 minutes of recording, but uh, don't lie and rebuild trust by being rigorously honest in lots of different areas of your life. Be patient with yourself and your recovery and your wife. Seek help by involving others. Don't do your recovery Lone Ranger style. Try to develop at least three recovery buddies that you can reach out to. Improve your distress tolerance, And that can be in any situation that increases anxiety or stress or when your wife is venting because of a trauma trigger. Take full responsibility. Try not to shift the blame onto your wife or or your work or anything. um, Just take responsibility that I made this mistake and I'm responsible to clean it up. And then for the couple healing, being proactive, being transparent, and fighting for your partner's heart. If you do these things, um, the healing will will increase. There will be an increase in safety and trust that will grow as you do these things. So the, these are my tips to anybody who has betrayed their partner and has battled with some type of a compulsion or been discovered with infidelity. Uh, I hope you can put these to heart and do your very best. And uh, That's all I have for today. Take care now.